Hey there, it's Jim Stengel, host of the CMO Podcast. We're all marketers here, so let's be real for a sec. We all know that your website shouldn't be a static asset. It should be a dynamic part of your strategy to build your brand and drive conversions. That's Marketing 101. But 54% of marketing leaders say web updates take too long. That's over half of you listening right now. And that's where Webflow comes in. Their visual-first platform allows you to build, launch, and optimize web pages fast. That means you can set ambitious marketing goals and your site can rise to that challenge. Learn why teams like Dropbox, IDEO, and Orange Theory all trust Webflow to achieve their most ambitious goals today at webflow.com. What's the first brand that made an impact on you as a young girl? The first brand I have a memory of is Cheerios, full stop. It just was defining of my mornings, a daily routine, family time. I just remember the cereal box. I remember the taste and the crunch. I think I poured a ton of extra sugar on top of my Cheerios um, as a child when I was allowed to. But I just remember the experience. And I think it was the first time I ever like acknowledged a brand and a logo and a box actually meaning something to me. Hi, I'm Jim Stengel, and I help major brands find their purpose and activate it and the profits follow. For seven years, I was the global marketing officer for Procter & Gamble, where I oversaw the marketing of hundreds of brands. You may not know it, but the CMOs, the chief marketing officers of all of your favorite brands are trying to connect you with your favorite products and services through purpose. And on this show, I delve into how they do it. My guest today on the CMO podcast is Allie Weiss, the chief marketing officer at Glossier, the seven-year-old high-growth beauty company founded by Emily Weiss. No relation to Allie. Glossier is a private company and its reported valuation is about $2 billion. Glossier began like no other brand. It grew out of a beauty blog, Into the Gloss, started by its founder, Emily Weiss. The direct-to-consumer brand today has 5 million customers and growing. It is sold in seven countries outside the U.S. My guest Allie has been with Glossier for more than six years, almost from its founding. She was promoted to CMO in June 2021. Before Glossier, Allie worked at asset manager BlackRock after her undergraduate degree from Stanford and then earned her MBA from Harvard before joining Glossier. This is my conversation with Allie Weiss. Allie, welcome to the CMO podcast. Jim, thanks so much for having me. You might be the most consumer-centric brand in the world right now, so I thought it was only appropriate to open this podcast with one of your super fans, my daughter Claire, who is here with us live. She is a pro at podcast interviewing. A few months ago, we interviewed Shelly House at Ulta, the CMO at Ulta. Claire was on night shift in the ICU. She phoned in with a few questions with Shelly, and we had great fun with it. But she's a super fan of Glossier. She's a super fan of the category. So I'm going to turn this interview over to my daughter, Claire, to open us up with a couple questions from a super fan. Hi, Allie. It's such a pleasure to be speaking with you and to get the chance to talk with you about Glossier. I actually brought one of my favorite Glossier products. It's the birthdaybomb.com. And I was wondering what your favorite Glossier product is. I could tell which flavor it was immediately because I saw the top of the tube sparkling across the screen. My So it's very hard to pick a favorite product. I often joke that picking a favorite product is like picking a favorite child. Well, I only have one child right now, but I'm about to have two children and I'm sure it's hard to pick a favorite. Uh, But I will say that the products, I use two products every single day and have used them ever since Glossy has created them when they were in development. One is our boy brow, our brow pomade, which is our best selling product. And the other one is our milky jelly cleanser, which I use to cleanse my face. Uh, And so those are, those are are definitely my top everyday products. And then I rotate other ones in as uh, we're developing and also as my routine shifts and changes like many other beauty consumers. I'm a big fan of both of those products as well. Um, Another thing that I really love about your company is how real and accessible um, you guys are. Like the vibe on your website is so fun and relatable. And I was wondering how you how you pick the the models that you're going to feature because they they totally look like real people. And, you know, I as a regular person can just see myself in them. So I think it really helps when you're shopping on your website. 
So so one thing that's always been true of Glossier is that we've believed in the power of the personal narrative and the narrative that comes from real people who are having on a beauty journey just like you. And so one of the most important things to us is that we continue to work with partners, whether or not it's across our website, social, even internally, that have an authentic relationship and story with beauty, which everyone does. And so as we think about how to showcase our products and ensure that we're reflecting back what we say beauty in real life back to the consumer, that's really what we're looking for and ensuring that we have, um, we talk a lot about showing and not telling and ensuring that we have representation across skin types, across genders, across across ethnicities, across ages. Obviously, as a marketer, we're thinking very much about who our target audience will be, but ultimately, we really listen to our customers and think about what uh, their real approach to beauty is and reflect that back with them and are learning alongside them as we continue to co-create this brand with them. Yeah, totally. It definitely comes through. I thought it might be fun before I let Claire go that you know you spend so much time with consumers, and we're going to talk about that later. When you're with consumers like Claire, I know you get a lot of data from your platform, of course, but when you're having qualitative, when you're talking to consumers, what sorts of things do you ask them about, Allie? So one of my favorite things is spending qualitative time with consumers. We actually kick off a lot of our meetings with a customer anecdote in order to be inspired by a singular story. And while that can't be all the data of input, it is absolutely one of my favorite elements. Uh, One of my favorite questions is, how did you learn about Glossier? As a marketer, I love to know how people learned about Glossier. The vast majority of time, it's through another person because that person-to-person connection is really critical in the beauty journey. That's one of my favorite things to ask. And then the other thing to ask is what do you, what, how would you describe Glossier? Right. Ultimately, uh, we can create the content that we want or write copy or create campaigns. Uh, but it's ultimately what the customer hears and remembers and interprets. So hearing their definition of Glossier continually reinforms how we define the brand and how we continue to shape it in the world. Well, I heard about Glossier through my daughter, so that, <laughs> and then of course you've been, you're much <laughs> talked about in the marketing community. But Claire, why don't you take a crack at those? How did you hear about Glossier, and how would you describe them? Oh well, yeah, I actually I heard about Glossier from one of my friends at work. We were on night shift, and I'm a nurse, and we were talking about um, buying gifts for friends. Um, and I was thinking about what kind of gifts I would want to get for my sister in law, whose birthday was coming up. And she was like, well, you know, if you heard about Glossier, I really love their products. They make a great gift for, you know, for every any of your girlfriends. And I was like, oh, okay, I'll have to check that out. So, so yeah, thank you, Megan, for, for turning me on to Glossier. Megan and Claire, classic Glossier uh, recommendation mm-hmm. story. Love it. And how would you describe the brand? Um, I think just real and genuine. That would be... And fun. Like it's it's such a fun um brand and such a fun company. I always like going onto your website is is like a treat. Like it's exciting to to check out what you guys have going on. It's great to hear. Thank you. Claire, thanks for joining us. All right. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. Bye. Okay, Allie. That's going to be a tough act for me to follow, but I'll try. Here we go into a more conventional CMO podcast interview. Um, but I, I love that we started with consumers and people. Uh, as Claire said, your brand is fun, authentic, real. So many brands aspire to be that. Uh, I want you to, I want to stay with consumer centricity for a bit. And you were telling us some of your favorite questions for consumers when you do qualitative research. I would just like you to kind of helicopter up and talk about in any given week or month, how much time do you spend in consumer centric activities? And what, what are those kinds of activities that you do to stay close to your fans, to the people that, you know, buy your brand and, and have great affinity for your brand? One of the most important things, I think, is spending the majority of my time in consumer-centric experiences. And it's uh, obviously it varies from week to week, but I always speak to the fact that over the past six plus years that I've been at Glossier, what has been incredibly important is not only talking about and trying to be the mo- one of the most consumer-centric brands, but actually operationalizing that, and especially as we've grown. So 
One of the most critical things from my perspective is in the world of social media, you can constantly be listening to consumers. And so that's something that's really special when I have a break in between meetings or, uh, you know, I'm getting ready for my day. It's very straightforward for me to go to internal places where we have consumer feedback through MPS surveys or emails that we receive to go to external places like Reddit threads or Instagram comments and actually just hear direct from the customer. So having that direct access is such a privilege for brands today and something that I definitely don't take for granted and take advantage of on a day-to-day basis. I also mentioned this, but one of our favorite things to do in my weekly marketing leads meeting is to kick off with a customer anecdote. And that could be anything from something very personal, like you talking about your daughter, Claire, and how she discovered Glossier. Someone um, recently brought a uh, video of their grandmother trying our new Ultralip product. It could be a screenshot of an email that we received that has critical feedback around one of our products that we'd like to troubleshoot. So it spans the spectrum, but what it enables us to do is really focus on the individual. And something that I've always believed in is in the power of the individual and their narrative to really drive our thinking and to drive the way that we operate as a company. So those are just a couple examples of how I would spend my time. And then if I really think about it, I'd say the majority of time, anywhere from 60 to 75% of my week is really spent listening to customers, whether it's products that are in development. Uh, things that they're telling us already in the world. People, we get feedback when we're doing our creative shoots because we have makeup artists using our products and telling us what they think of them. So every touch point really is a user experience. That's really, really special. And when we have our stores open again, and when we did have them, that's another touch point. We were really fortunate that um, we had co-location of our headquarters office and our store. So being able to walk through the store and hear customer experiences. I worked the first day in every single store that we opened pre-COVID. And so those were all really special too. So definitely a huge part of how I'm spending my time in order to inform our continued approach to brand building and co-creating this brand with our community. There was so much great stuff in there, Allie. I'd like to just highlight one, this idea of opening meetings with anecdotes and stories. I was working with a real estate company in another country who was trying to be more customer-centric and purpose-driven. And they started a ritual in every function, legal, you know, finance, everything. Every company meeting, internal or external, began with a story about their purpose coming to life. And it sounds like such a, maybe a silly idea, but honestly, it changed the culture. And we could write down all the statements we want and shoot all the videos, but until everyone started to internalize what this meant in their work, in their department, in their function, so, so powerful. I can imagine. It's definitely been a practice that has um, seeped into very natural instinct for us and I think important to, to continue on as we scale. You said something about operationalizing consumer people centricity. Can you say a bit more about that? It's hard, right? It's both an art and a science. Uh, And it ultimately, it starts with people who are here for, to be here for that purpose, right? Who are deeply devoted to the customer, which is one of Glossier's values. And the reason I say it's hard is because the way that you uh, listen to the customer needs to continue to evolve. One, because the way the customer interacts with you continues to evolve, whether or not that's social media, through your website, what all the touch points are where you're getting your information. What I think is really critical is that you have to create processes and practices that enable you to have that infiltrate your everyday. In running a business, which is ultimately sometimes can create tension with very true and authentic customer centricity, you need to be able to have that practice embedded in your meetings, embedded in how you look at data, embedded in the perspective of every single team member from bottoms up and tops down. And so what I think is really important without getting very specific is that you have to know that sometimes you're going to make trade-offs that are at conflict with a supply chain decision or a cost decision or even a creative decision when ultimately it's about being as customer-centric as possible. And so that has to be embedded in your culture in order for you to operate that way. Otherwise, it's, to your point, just something you say and write down, but don't necessarily put into practice. And I think that 
varies by function. It varies by meeting. The way you operationalize it can be very different, but it is a core part in, uh, in our, in our day to day and also in the leadership approach that I've taken from a marketing perspective. It's a value of your company. I just wonder when you have discussions with your team about, you know, performance, we all have to do that and how they're doing and their career goals and your goals for them. Do you talk about that? How they operationalize, you know, being with a customer, being with a consumer? Yes. And for me, I'd say it's almost in, in a way when I think about performance and talking to the team about expectations, ultimately, we always frame we are all successful if we uh, are perceived by our customers to be successful at what we're delivering and building impactful experiences that bring them joy and confidence in their personal beauty style. And so for me, I'd actually say it's pretty easy, right? Because the direct functions that I oversee, our creative team, our product team, our brand marketing team, our social team, our consumer insights team, they're all directly impacting customer experiences every day. And so whether or not it's a prof- per- professional development goal or a direct business goal for an individual on my team, it almost always inherently relates back to the customer experience. So it's absolutely core to those discussions. And I think what unites, I know what unites everyone is the idea that our outcomes are really focused on whether or not we were successful in the customer's eyes. We've all been there. You spend millions of dollars each year driving traffic to your company's website and then the results come in and they're just not what you hoped. On top of that, 81% of marketing leaders say website ownership is a challenge. So what do you do? Well, you switch to Webflow. Let me tell you why. Webflow's visual-first platform empowers your team to own your company's most valuable dynamic marketing asset, your website. From launching a new site to optimizing for SEO and conversions, Webflow gives you the tools you need to drive business growth fast. Unlock your website's full potential when you build, manage, and host with Webflow. Get started today at webflow.com. I want to talk about where you go for inspiration. I know, and I know you go to your customers, but that's how the brand started, right? And, uh, and that's one, one way you are unique as a brand. But I want you to talk about other ways you are inspired Ali, by other people, other companies. So I'm just looking for you. You do so many things so well, you know, with the with the consumer. Who who do you look for, and where do you look for for inspiration? I look a lot of places, and I think it's really important to look outside, right? If I only looked at Glossier customers or Glossier target customers, that wouldn't help us build a perspective on how to continue. Hopefully, what I what I aspire to do, which is to continue to rewrite the playbook for defining brand consumer relationships, especially in a world now where the brand consumer relationships are direct and we operate direct. So I think it's really important to look outside. One place that I love looking in in my own daily life, and one of my Person, like my personal passions and purposes is really finding things that are simple solutions that change my everyday or make my everyday better. And so I love looking towards um, companies or brands or people that are creating product or services that ultimately change consumer behavior, right? It's the classic uh, people would have asked for a faster horse. They never would have asked for a car example, right? And so one thing that comes to mind is music, right? My personal consumption of music, tens of millions of people's personal consumption of music has changed significantly since a product like Spotify came out. And it kind of came from an unexpected place. You may expect a record label or, um, you know, someone with a lot of historical music knowledge to create a product that changed that consumption. And so I think that's a perfect example of a simple solution that has changed my everyday, um, other people's everyday. And so that's where I look for inspiration. And that's what I aspire when then we look back inward to do with our products and our experiences that we're building with customers, which is really to enhance their everyday and change their routine for the better in a way that makes them feel really good about where they are in that moment. So I look for inspiration and continuing to find, you know, small companies, big companies that are doing that. I think that's a really good example. Um, I also love be, I mean, I'm inspired by, you know, what I would call more traditional marketing campaigns that truly, uh, strike an emotional chord. So that can be, I'm trying to think of a really good example, but those happen often, right? Like you see them from anything from a technology company to a car company to a beauty company. And one that comes to mind lately that was recently shared with me, and I'm actually not sure how old the spot is, was a Google, uh, campaign 
where a parent had created an email account for their child and written them emails over time. It was sort of the modern version of the baby book. And it really struck a chord with me because I had actually done something similar when I had my daughter. I made her an email account. I CC'd her on her birth announcement. And every month since then, she's received an email about her progressions, milestones, things that I love about her um, for the past month. And so I feel like I look for moments like that too, that truly are about purpose and about a person's journey and how that journey intersects with whatever a brand or product may be offering. But I think those types of moments truly inspire me as well. Uh, and then, and then the last thing is I love looking for brands and companies that are challenging industries. Um, it's something that Glossier did, right? When we started, at least from my perspective, we set out to change the way the beauty industry operated, which was these large conglomerates top down telling you that you had a problem or that you weren't good enough and that you needed this product to solve your beauty routine or make you feel better. And we ultimately took a bottoms up approach, looking at customers and what they desired from the beauty industry, how they wanted to feel. And so I'll give you an example there that's been you know close, close to my heart within Glossier and very inspiring is uh, we have our Black-Owned Businesses Grant Program. We are recently reviewing the 2021 applications. And in doing that, it's just amazing to see how the industry has opened up since Glossier started to include so many independent brands because the barriers to entry of being able to launch a brand, uh, promote your products through social media, whatever it might be, have really disrupted the industry. And so I'm really inspired too, both inside beauty and outside beauty by finding brands that are being bold and trying to define a new approach to to branding and um, to customer experiences. You just went through pretty three pretty good criteria for uh, brands that grow. You know, those that challenge the industry, strike an emotional chord, and offer simple solutions. So that was a nice little textbook about what a brand should be these days. And what, you know, one, I think, positive thing from the last year and a half amidst all the sadness has been so many brands, I mean, you were already there, but so many brands stepped up thinking about how can I be of service to people and what new products and services might I offer. And, and I think once you do that, you don't go back. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to see what happens in our industry over the next few years with that, I think that renewed commitment within companies to be of service and to help people find solutions to stuff that's not going well with them, you know? Or things that, you know, one of the one of the great uh, experiences I had at PNG was the whole Swiffer experience, where you know we came up with a totally different way to clean that was kind of fun and joyful, and it reframed the category and it became a, a really vibrant brand, and still is to this day. Yes, those simple solutions for every day that make you make you feel better and yeah. in your daily routine are pretty important. I also think you hit on a point that I think about a lot, which is the expectations consumers have of brands have evolved significantly today, right? The role they expect them to play both in their personal lives and in the greater world is um, they have very high expectations as they should be, but it also changes the way we as marketers and um, how companies have to operate in order to fulfill those expectations. Okay. I have a really good question for you here before we leave consumer centricity. I, I grew up in the Procter & Gamble culture, and that company purports to be one of the world's most consumer-centric companies, and in many ways they are, but their model is so different from yours. So if I were to drop you into a big meeting at P&G or L'Oreal or Estee Lauder or whatever, you know, I would like to know what you would share with them to help them be better and learn from the amazing culture and brand that you have created? Well, first I'd start that I also have a lot to learn from the people who are sitting in those meetings. So I'd be very grateful to them for sharing things with me too, because they've built some incredible brands with uh, consumer resonance. And we've been lucky to be in a you know disruptor position. So I think for me, first the first thing that I would share and also ask is, how they are able to authentically listen to their customers, right? And uh, how they can get, create feedback loops and experiences that enable them. Of course, you're never, when you're creating a product, you're not going to go and iterate over and over and over again. You need that product experience to be excellent when it goes to market, but how they're 
actually able to create feedback loops that can inform a flywheel that really drives brand and product get, that get reinformed by the consumer. And so that would be, that's something that we've built for Glossier and the way that we operate. And I bet there are many ways, even though the business model is incredibly different for those companies, the larger companies to be able to do that. And so I'd authentically, like I, I always come from a place of asking questions. So I'd start by asking those questions. And I think that's a way to understand how they can build it in a way that would work for them and inform, inform um, their future approach to customer centricity. That's a good one. And I think they do all do that in a different way. And I, that, that would be a great one to riff on. And maybe if we have time later in this podcast, we can, we can do a bit of that because I do have some experience. That, but, you know, to me, one principle was you have to live it. You know, the great ideas that I've been a part of is when you immerse yourself in, your, um, in people's lives and you went in with your eyes wide open. And of course, you were doing it with some sort of category lens, but just go in there and see how they live their life and what things they're concerned about. What are their passions? What are their problems? What are, they, what are their dreams for their life and their families? And then things get interesting. But go in wide-eyed, go in curious, and go in and be part of their experience. Absolutely. We often say a lot, people first, product second, yeah, which yeah. I think is a great guiding light and exactly what you just said, which is listen to the people's stories. And with that, you can create incredible product experiences that that uh, plug into their stories versus challenge them or create a different story than they're expecting. Now, let's talk about the CMO role. And you've, you've been at Glossier over six years. That's, you know, nearly the life of the brand. So you've, you've been there to see this amazing story, be, be part of this amazing story. But you were just promoted to CMO in June 2021, so it's still pretty fresh. So congratulations first. And, Thank you. And I want you to tell me how and when you heard about you being appointed to CMO and how that felt. I would say it was a very natural evolution in conversation, uh, as many of these things are. I have been leading marketing at Glossier in different capacities since I've been there. And so I think in the trajectory of what we were building as a brand and both what we've achieved so far, and most importantly, what we're looking forward to achieving, it felt like a natural conversation. And so uh, it was. I was very humbled excited, honored, and also felt a renewed sense of pressure in a really great way to continue to build this brand, challenge the status quo, and think about what it meant to be in a quote-unquote CMO seat versus a SVP of marketing seat or director of marketing seat as I was previously. And then my, my team will know this, but I often go back and say that I couldn't have done it with all, without all of the people around me. Right. The most important thing is that it does truly take a village. I know it is cliche to say that, but um, an incredible, you know, company cross-functional team inspiration from the customer. So the first two things that came to my mind was I was humbled, excited, honored, and then also so thankful to the team that's enabled us to get to this place and to build um, what I hope will be defining of what a future marketing organization can be for a consumer brand. We're going to talk about that. But the first thing I want to ask you is what is your, I mean, you have to have one of the great CMO jobs in the world, right? And you think about how your brand was uh, founded. And so I want you to talk about what's your favorite part of this job. And on the counter side of that, your least favorite part. My favorite part of the job is the creation of experiences. So I often talk about how marketing for me isn't about media mix or the next commercial that you're going to create or the next social post that you're going to put up, but it's ultimately about, is this an impactful customer experience? And that ranges from anything, including the stickers that we include with every order, right? Quick surprise and delight. That's an amazing touch point. Once you've had a fully digital experience with us and you're getting that delivery on your doorstep, um, all the way to the you know, flagship stores that we open or building a new experience on our website. Um, and then also, of course, building our beauty products. So for me, my favorite part is being able to build impactful experiences and having the privilege to work with teams that are so design-focused, so customer-centric, so curious about how we can continue to do that in a really special, impactful, curated way. And because of our business model, that's truly only 
the result of the pressure that we put on ourselves to achieve the next goal and not the pressure that distributors put on us or the broader industry puts on us to fill in certain gaps. So that is absolutely by far and away the experience creation is the, my favorite part of the job. Uh, and then I'd say my least favorite part of the job is when we disappoint customers, when we, it's the exact opposite side of the coin of what I just described. So hearing hard feedback, um, that something we expected to land in a particular way or to change someone's routine did not uh, fulfill their expectations. And I view those as very important learning experiences, but I don't think I would be human if I didn't admit that those are some of the hardest moments of the job when you have really high expectations for what you can deliver and achieve for the customer. Allie, I want to follow up on that question about disappointing a customer as the least favorite part of the job. I hate that feeling too, and it's hard not to get emotional about that. What do you do when that happens? I listen. I think that's the most important thing. And I often say to the team, we're not going to be able, we will always be able to listen to every single customer anecdote, every single piece of feedback. And then what's really important is making sure that we are pragmatic, reasonable, and as focused as possible on which pieces of those feedback we act on. So I think what's really important is to listen authentically, absorb, and then decide how to act, how that will change the way you operate, how that might change the way you position a product or create the product or change an experience. And I think that's really important. I think people would, people who know me well would tell you that I love to sleep on things as in I, I don't want always want to make fast decisions. Sometimes as a leader, you are required to make fast decisions with incomplete information. One of the most important things I think is to really listen, digest, and then decide what you want to do about it. So my first reaction is to to listen and digest and then decide how to act instead of acting on emotion. Because as you said, you find those moments hard. Uh, anyone who's dedicated much of their career, much of their life to ensuring that consumers feel excited about your experiences, it's hard. And so you don't want to act on that sentiment. You want to act on truly hearing what they're saying and understanding for what that means you will do next. That's a beautiful thought. Sleeping on things is underrated. I mean, almost every decision I've made where it hasn't gone as well as it should have, I did not sleep on it. So I think that's really, really good advice. I also think it's a real, I've tried not always successfully to make bad customer experiences or a bad launch or a bad initiative, whatever it might be into something that is inspiring for us to learn and improve and elevate our commitment. And so that's hard to do sometimes as a leader, uh, but that's always my goal. And that's exactly what you talked about. When you listen, you absorb, you talk with your team, you sleep on it and you act, that could be very inspiring, right? Absolutely. What would you say is the key to success for today's CMO? If you said data, you wouldn't be the only one. At Deloitte, however, we believe data is only half of the equation. The other half, story. Because data is the language of business, but story is the language of humans. And we believe the most successful CMOs know how to harness the power of both data and story. To learn more about Deloitte's CMO program and how we can help today's CMOs succeed, visit cmo.deloitte.com. So let's... Let's talk a bit more about the marketing function at Glossier. You reeled off a few minutes ago the different groups that report into you. I would like to talk a bit more about that. What capabilities are mission critical? How do you think about marketing at Glossier? How are you organized? So let's start with that. So how do you think about marketing? What is the function and its purpose at Glossier? So I've said this a little bit before, but I think it's worth repeating, which is that ultimately everyone on the broader marketing team wakes up with a mandate of thinking about how we can create the most impactful customer experiences. And customer experience can mean a lot of different things, but all of the touch points and the most critical ones on the team definitely relate back to experience creation. And so one of the things that has been really key to me in uh, the past several years at Glossier, almost since all the way back to when I started, probably over the past five years at Glossier, is having a really integrated approach all the way from our product conception of all of our physical products through to how we introduce that to the consumer and continue to storytell around those products. And so 
one of the most critical functions within our marketing team is product. And I know that at some, some organizations, product and marketing actually live separately or operate separately. Product will come up with ideas. They'll sort of throw it over the fence and say, Hey, marketing, go make this successful. You know, there's obviously collaboration with target market and what, what solution are we trying to come up with or what opportunity do we have? What's been really critical to me is to have that integrated. And so oftentimes we're almost already imagining what our campaign or go to market strategy may be when we're in concept of a product and haven't even fully developed it. And so that integration is a really important capability. I also know that um, oftentimes that marketing and creative functions can be separate. And one other important thing is that we have our creative function fully integrated into our marketing team, shared goals, um, collaboration. The uh, We embrace that great ideas can come from anywhere, right? So many times, some of our best marketing ideas will come from someone on the creative team. Some of our best creative ideas may come from someone on the marketing team. So the lines there are blurry, which makes um, for a massive benefit from a customer experience perspective. Sometimes a ch- challenging, uh, an operational challenge as a leader, as you're trying to also provide clear roles and responsibilities to a team as you're trying to move quickly and operate smoothly. Um, and then we have our brand function, which to me is our brand, which includes brand marketing, social media, consumer insights. And for me, that's really important. Sometimes marketing can be so much about selling products and what we're out to do. And I think very, very familiar to you and close to heart for you is that, um, Brands are about so much more than products. They're about having a purpose, having a mission, having a vision, creating a style of life, um, a way of living, an approach to the now, a mindset, a um, aspiration to self-actualize. Those are all things we've talked about uh, that are really important to us. And especially where beauty is so inextricably linked with identity, this brand creation beyond what your top shelf looks like and how our moisturizer or our lipstick fits into your routine is this idea of what's the brand that we stand for, um, for inclusivity, for the living in the now, for fun. You know how I heard Claire describe Glossé, right? The fun, the freedom of being who you are today. And so another critical part of the team is this, is this brand function, ensuring we're parallel pathing brand development alongside products because ultimately our value proposition I aspire will be to really change and impact uh, the way consumers discover and connect with beauty beyond merely selling the 40 beauty products that we have in our portfolio today. Do you outsource anything, Allie, or is everything inside? For the vast majority, everything is inside. So from a creative perspective, we don't have an agency of record. We have our own in-house agency that we're building. From a product perspective, we're, we're concepting, creating all of those. Um, there are certain smaller elements where we, where we may work for with an agency for execution on an event or um, the way the beauty supply chain works. We have contract manufacturers that we work to bring our products to life. But ultimately, when I think about experience creation, everything is happening in-house and something that we're really focused on maintaining has, I think, has been a very uh, valuable part to maintaining a consistent and evolved brand experience for Glossier. How do you keep creative people super inspired and interested? Because this, this is the common, I don't know, uh, reason a lot of people say they don't build creative internally because creative people like diversity, they like a different environment, they like to work on lots of things, they like sometimes non-traditional work schedules. So how do you keep your creative people at sort of super inspired, top of their game? I will give you two words that I feel like are a helpful answer. One is purpose and the other is people. So uh, keeping people inspired because they believe in the purpose of what Glossier is setting out to do is incredibly important. Uh, In doing that, also, you have to give them the space to look outside for inspiration. But I think ultimately, when I talk to and understand the motivations and the inspirations of the team and why they're here and why we're all working to do what we do, it's ultimately because they believe in the purpose of Glossier and what we've set out to do to help redefine both what beauty can be within the beauty industry and then also the what a brand consumer relationship can look like for the future. 
And then the people part, right? Having great leaders and great team members, it's really critical to be inspired by those around you. I think that's a huge part of why agencies are successful is they have a fantastic collection of people who inspire them around them and um, continue to push each other creatively. And so, you know, and, and Marie, who's our creative director and across the team, we're really focused on ensuring that the people are part of a core part of their inspiration as well. You've talked about purpose a few times in the last five minutes, and I want to go there now. I mean, we've been talking about it really, but I'd like to go a little bit deeper. And I'd like to link your culture to that purpose. So I want you to talk a bit about the evolution of Glossier's purpose, how you express it now. Has it been the same since the founding? Has it evolved? What's so powerful about it? And then what is the linkage to the culture you've created there? So when I think about very simply what our mission is, just just for, for me to re-articulate it, it's to help everyone find joy and confidence in their personal beauty style. And that is something that I feel like our purpose is actually greater than that because underlying that, and I mentioned this briefly, is this idea that everyone is going through a process of wanting to ultimately self-actualize, to feel really good in who they are today. And beauty is one component of that. We believe we're creating a brand and opportunity, again, because beauty and identity are so linked that um, that we can actually create a experience that enables people to, to feel that way. And so from a purpose perspective, I mean, we bring that to what we do every day. Um, and I think it's really important. And you said this earlier, actually, I'm going to take your own expertise here, but to ensure that that's not only written down, but put into practice in many ways. And how that comes across from my perspective is ensuring that we are facilitating and creating an environment, bringing in new team members, continue to continuing to evolve our existing team members that are curious that are courageous, that are discerning. Those are some of our values. And you know what? It's almost natural for me to say those. I would use them to describe what I'm what we aspire to build in our culture without having them written down on a piece of paper at this point, right? If I look around me and want to describe someone who's leading our brand team, or I look at someone who just designed, you know, the next secondary package for one of our products. Um, for for me, that's that's what we're always looking for. And so it's really that interpreting that purpose to then how we how we would all like to um, behave and the values that we embody on a day-to-day basis at Glossier. And I think that linkage between purpose and then the people actually living that purpose is incredibly important. And that's that's such an art, right? That's ultimately not a science. And you can create fantastic recruiting recruiting tools and interview processes and ways of of organizing your team, but ultimately um, you know, who people are and why they're there and, and aspiring to have that be for a diverse number of reasons, but all ultimately centered on this idea that we want to help people feel really good in today and feel fun and freedom in the now is, is so important. I want to go just a little bit of a sidebar in that your culture is so strong and, and it's social and it's about identity and it's authentic. What are you doing coming out of COVID? Are you going? Are you going hybrid? Are you bringing people back? I mean, <laughs> this is top of mind for everyone. Everyone seems to be handling it a bit differently. What What are you doing at Glossier? We're so excited to be back. We yeah. were definitely an in person culture, and I think I mean you you figured it out from everything I just said, right? We um, really both because we create physical experiences that ultimately deliver on those more. Um, I'd say abstract experiences and values that I just spoke about um, being in person and really feeling that passion for what we're doing feels so absent from today from our Hollywood squares on the screen. And so we're very excited to be back. I think what uh, COVID has brought to a lot of people is this idea of how work and life can be integrated differently. So we are thinking like many other companies, what does a flexible work week look like? So we will absolutely be back in the office and we've actually phased who's going back to the office. And um, the vast majority of the marketing team is in the first phase because we are really focused on in-person collaboration, touching and feeling the materials that go into our stores testing formulas that we're going to roll out in our, you know, in our um, future beauty products. So really focused on that while still providing flexibility that enables people to be them, their best selves and bring them, them their best selves to work, given what we all have learned that you can achieve 
remotely. So that's a little bit of an open-ended answer, but what I expect that will look like is something like three or four days a week in the office, one or two days not, Mm -hmm. um, and ensuring that we have the right touch points for collaboration when we are all together. And also, I think a big challenge, which is pretty tactical, but ensuring that we have the technological solutions right to have a hybrid meeting if we need to, where someone is joining remotely and then people are also sitting in our creative lab or our product lab. Your answer was in the first few words, we are so happy to be back. <laughs> that says it yes. all. You're not pulling anyone in. Everyone wants to be together. You know, So that's a very exactly. strong statement. Now, not every CMO gets to report to the company's founder, and you get to do that. So I'd like you to talk a bit about how you work with your founder. What kinds of things do you talk about? What sort of issues and meetings do you bring her into? So just riff on that a bit for us. Sure. I have spent a long time with Emily. Uh, feel very privileged to have built this brand alongside her. She is a true visionary and inspiration. And when I think back to uh, what, you know, how we spend our time together, I mean, some of the most critical moments for me in thinking about how I can then take her experiences and the vision for the company she wants to build and the impact she wants to have on the broader industry. Um, I think back to when she was writing top shelves herself on Into the Gloss. So for the people that don't know this, we started as an editorial platform, intothegloss.com, where we published editorial content about beauty. And it was ultimately where we started with this narrative of people first, product second. And she often, you know, I never did these interviews or wrote them myself because it was before I, uh, before I joined, um, before I joined Glossier, um, and to this date, we still have into the gloss, and it actually sits sits on the marketing team. Um, so I understand the process deeply now. Uh, but ultimately, I think about her, and she tells me about when she was sitting on people's bathroom floors, hearing their personal stories, going through their beauty routines, and that it ultimately was about so much more than you know the the serum or the toner or the lipstick or the eyeliner that they were using. But it was really about their own journey of of self discovery and feeling really good about who they were in that moment, or um, not feeling great about who they are and were, were in that moment, and how they would change that. And so. Um, and I, it's been such a privilege to be able to work with her and understand that like sitting on that bathroom floor interviewing someone for an article has turned into what the brand has evolved evolved to today. Um, ultimately, my, I mean, my touch points with her on a day-to-day basis as the CMO are so varied. Uh, they can, you know, some of our most inspiring moments together are brainstorming what a next product could be or how we can bring something to life in a really impactful campaign that tells you what feeling like Glossier actually means to, to consumers, to tactics of how should we be organized or, um, you know, what, uh, what is, what is the, the future of marketing measurement at Glossier going to be um, all the way to things like when we go back to the office, what's the culture we want mm-hmm. to create? So those touch points are extremely varied and understanding, you know, how to prioritize those and what to talk about when is always quite an art. Um, there's never enough time to cover everything that we could. So that's also something that has been a learning and a journey for me of um, where, where are where is our collaboration the most impactful? And ultimately, it's through the same lens, which is let's spend our time together ensuring that uh, we are creating great experiences for our customers. And so that's what I often use to prioritize in, in spending time with her. There's a real, I just want to emphasize something that was in that answer. It's so important that you both show up together about your vision and feeling about the brand, right? This sounds like a simple point, but that is not always the case. And I think when the CMO and the CEO, and frankly, the entire leadership team aren't on the same page about what they're trying to create here, it's problematic. And so, so I think the fact that you talk about those kinds of things as much as you do is very, very, very positive for the future of the brand. And I'd say one, one thing that's been a benefit is, um, you know, I've, I've, the company has grown at the same time that I've grown in my marketing career. And so that's been really special. And so we've, built so many different chapters together that does help us to be synced. I can imagine, and I'm sure, you know, this will happen at some point in my career. I've seen it happen in many of the other CMOs careers, um, you know, even listening to your podcast and, and um, individuals on there who have told their stories. When you're starting fresh, establishing that baseline is something that's incredibly 
critical. And I, it's definitely not impossible, even if you don't have a six plus year history with someone. But I think that um, almost comes as something that's uh, a given for us because I have um, been at Glossier for the amount of time that I have. Let's talk about your path to Glossier six and a half years ago or so. You graduated from Stanford undergraduate, I think in a, with a science degree. Then you worked for the largest asset manager in the world, BlackRock, then went back for your MBA at Harvard, and then did an internship at Harry's, also a dynamic young company, and then went to Glossier full-time. So did you have an epiphany of some kind at Harvard? It only seems logical that after all of that, right, science and finance, (laughs) I would go do beauty marketing, of course. (laughs) So tell me about that. I mean, you've worked for two, you know, uh, fast-growing founder-led companies. So was there something that happened to you when you went back for your MBA to say, I want to be part of these kinds of cultures? Or was it not that intentional? Yes, uh, it was. Actually, I'd say it was It was both fairly intentional and also sort of just destiny in many ways. I told you already that I have this personal passion for simple solutions for the everyday. And it's definitely something that I came to articulate a lot more clearly through my career to date. It's something that I always knew and a little bit of a personal anecdote, which is like I, when I was younger, I really enjoyed as a child going to the grocery store. And I think as a, a, a P&G marketer, you'll enjoy this about, um, you know, traditional CPG categories, but I just was fascinated that you could literally form a relationship with a brand by the image on the front of a cereal box. And so that's always stuck with me. And as I was, you know, pursuing my studies. I was pre-med. I got a biology degree. As I worked in finance, I couldn't help but continue to have that tug on my heartstrings. And so I knew in going back to get my MBA that I definitively wanted to pivot into the consumer industry. And then there's the question of, do you go to a place that has an immense amount of expertise in building brand managers, brand management, or do you go somewhere that's a disruptor or founder-led, something somewhere trying to do something new? And so I tried because I had worked at a the largest asset manager at BlackRock and a large global company, I said, let me try on for size something incredibly different. And in doing that, I really was driven and I never really thought myself of myself as having an entrepreneurial spirit because I had been in these more structured disciplines through um, being pre-med and through working at BlackRock. Um, but it, it really... Um, it really stuck with me and struck a chord and felt like something that I had to do. And so I set out to say, what you know, what are some of the most exciting companies that are trying to build something that challenges this brand consumer relationship? And so that's ultimately how I ended up um, at Harry's and then at, at Glossier full-time after school. Allie, I want to shift into the creative brief, our last section of the podcast, where we get even more insights about yourself. Who's been the most inspiring person in your life? So I have to say, and I feel like it's a somewhat sometimes a predictable answer, but one of the um one of the biggest motivators in my life has been my father. And I looked up to him because he has an immense amount of discipline. And that came across not actually really in his, I mean, it came across in his professional life, but most memorable for me was in his personal life. So he um, was in the army. He went to West Point and he served in the Vietnam War. And then he also went to HBS to get his MBA. And so I feel like that, um, that achievement and also from a family that didn't have a, a track record of that was just really inspirational to me and helped me motivate and understand what discipline could look like. Um, so he's been a, a big impact um, on me from that perspective. And then I also think about um, one of my bosses at BlackRock who has continued to be a mentor to me who I worked for both in a strategy role and in a chief of staff role. And it's really interesting because if I think about my inspiration as a leader, um, I wouldn't have explicitly then told you that I learned that much because I was so focused on getting done what I needed to get done in my job. And I couldn't look forward and envision that I would need leadership capabilities because I was very much in a doer role and a support role at that time, but has had a huge impact on what it looks like to have a vision to build a growing business to focus on customers, to manage a team, to balance family amongst all of that. And so those are um, two people who have been hugely impactful in my life. And I think I would be um, remiss not to talk about um, just the broad support network of people around me who inspire me every day, right? My mother, my husband, my daughter. I think 
ultimately I'm inspired. And I think this is part of why I am who I am and also why I lead how I lead, which is we are ultimately customer centric and people centric because I'm inspired by the people's stories around me day in and day out. And that's really what fuels me, creates the empathy um, that I have, creates my, the listening abilities that I have. And so I know I answered more than one person, no, but um, the collective, the collective around me is really what fuels me. What did your father go off and do post West Point? So after West Point, he served in the Army for a bit, and then he went to get his MBA, and then he worked um, in food distribution for a long time post-MBA. Okay. What is the marketing campaign or initiative in your entire career that you're most proud of? It is so incredibly hard to pick a favorite. I will have to pick two. So the first one is the first time that we did out-of-home advertising at Glossier was an incredibly proud moment. And while, you know, digital marketing is accessible and we were doing other types of marketing, having a format that felt official. (laughs) And I remember specifically like sitting on the ground in the floor of like our first office, literally pinning to a, you know, a foam board what each ad would look like in each place. And I think about the time that we spent, you know, there was scrappy team doing that. That was just such a proud moment because it felt sort of like we had made it, that we could be a brand with impact and make a statement and have the privilege also through funding to advertise in this way and start to build something. That's just such a special moment in my heart. And then the other thing I would bring up is much more recent um, and truly the product of a collective team with incredible ideas was uh, this past fall when we launched our um, two new Body Hero products. We we were the first official beauty partner of the WNBA. And we created a campaign with a mantra from the players of I deserve this. And the um, that overarching mantra, the experience they had, they were playing in what was called the wobble because of COVID. Um, that, and they were creating content themselves that they were then sending to us for us to stitch together as part of this campaign. It was just such a special moment to work with women who are so inspired, were like challenged by the world around them, living through the same thing during COVID that everyone else was. Um, and uh, to, to be that, you know, first official beauty partner alongside them and be able to tell their stories with them was a really special moment, especially over the past year, which I think for every brand, for every person has been incredibly challenging. So uh, I, again, went and picked more than one. You can see a trend here. <laughs> oh, it's good. Okay. How do you stay fresh and creative and on top of your game in the busy life you are in? Sometimes that's hard. And I think one of the most important tools that I use is giving myself space to think outside of sitting in front of a computer or a phone or a desk. I do some of my best thinking when I'm not writing down notes or, you know, recording voice memoirs or typing a reminder to myself in my phone. I think the most important thing is to have the space to reflect on customer stories that I've heard, what our next product plan may be. And so for me, it's really that mental space. It often occurs for me, quite honestly, like in the shower or when I'm exercising. Uh, and so those are those are my favorite moments to really get the space. And then I think what I would add to that is also looking outside of Glossier, right? Not being in an echo chamber, only focusing on what we're building, but being really in tune with the sentiment of people around me, people who look like our target consumers, um, just listening, right? Just under truly understanding where are people's, what is people's mindset right now? And it's interesting, this actually relates back to the question you asked me about um, office culture and going back and this idea like of craving togetherness, right? That's the mindset right now. So, you know, it's been different every moment that I've stepped away, but this common theme and whether or not I'm reading something on the internet or a customer story or talking to a friend or reflecting on something myself, I think there's this immense craving for togetherness um, that's currently in the mindset. And uh, I'm excited to embrace that and see what brands do with that, because I think it will be a very common theme as we continue to take the journey through the rest of 2021. Adam Grant wrote a great column about collective effervescence. And we're getting back to that. It will be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. So you captured it nicely. Okay. Who would you like to hear in the CMO podcast? Ooh, that's a fun one. Is there any chance you'd interview yourself? I've had that request a few times, actually. We should do that. We should do that. (laughs) 
I was thinking to myself, Jim's interview, <laughs> Jim's interviewing me. I would love if he could do the CMO podcast himself, right? Like you hear your introduction, you know about everything that you've done. I'd love to hear your answers to some of these questions. So maybe, maybe my request is to do a reverse interview, bring someone on to, to put you in the hot seat. I'll talk to my producers about that. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay, last word to you, Allie. Anything for me before we break for the weekend? This is We're recording on a Friday afternoon. You're so gracious to do this. Just so grateful for the opportunity. Thank you so much. And I hope you have a great wedding weekend with your family. Thanks, Allie. And congrats again to you and your team for just this incredible movement and brand you have built. And I look forward to seeing more of what you do with your amazing brand and your amazing purpose. Thank you so much. That was my conversation with Allie Weiss. Three takeaways from this wonderful conversation to apply in your business and life. First one is how to be consumer-centric. This is a company that is growing really, really fast because they're so consumer-centric. Allie said she spends 60 to 75% of each week on consumer-centric activities. And when I asked her how she stays fresh, she says, I build in time to reflect on what I learn about consumers and our organization. Second takeaway, I love Allie's description of what makes for a great brand, a brand that offers simple solutions that make every day better, a brand that strikes an emotional chord, and a brand that challenges industry norms. You should think about your brand against those three criteria, and I guarantee if you act on that, you will build a stronger brand. And the third takeaway, sleep on it. Allie was wonderful to say that she tries to not make big decisions before sleeping on it, gathering the data, listening, getting input, and then just taking some time to reflect and think before making a decision. So when you feel hard-pressed to make a tough call, think about sleeping on it. That's it for this episode of the CMO Podcast. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends. And I would be super happy if you subscribed so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. The CMO Podcast is a Gallery Media Group original production.